can't pay the IRS, haven't filed in a while, receiving threatening letters? Yeah, it's about to get worse. The IRS is hiring an army of agents targeting hardworking Americans like you. You need warriors on your side. You need Tax Network USA. Tax Network USA has brilliant strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. For instance, they've discovered a limited-time special offer that the IRS is willing to waive $1 billion in penalties. Find out if you qualify before it's too late. Never call the IRS alone. Let Tax Network USA attorneys handle it. They have preferred direct lines to the IRS. They know which agents to work with and which to avoid. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debts and offer a best-in-class guarantee. Schedule your free consultation now. Call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit TNUSA.com slash Victor. TNUSA.com slash Victor. Hello to the listeners of the Victor Davis Hansen Show. Victor is a scholar, a commentator, and a, an author. He has over 27 books that have been published, so he's a force to contend with, I think. Today, we are going to look at the news. This is Friday, so we'll look at a little news roundup and what we have coming up First will be the Durham report and the Trump interview by, and what was her name again? Caitlin Collins. So we'll take a break and then we'll come right back for that. Stay with us. Folks, we're sponsored today by Donors Trust, the tax-friendly way to preserve your charitable giving. In times of crisis, those with a giving spirit and a desire to build up civil society find ways to be helpful. And that's when it's good to have a charitable resource ready to deploy when they're needed most. Donors Trust offers donor-advised funds or giving accounts. You can use these funds as your own charitable investment account and manage your charitable giving in a way that's smart, tax-advantaged, aligned with your values, and private. Donors Trust clients are using their funds to support charities helping their local communities while also using their giving account to simultaneously support think tanks and liberty-minded organizations that believe our constitutional rights shouldn't get lost in a time of emergency. Now is the time to take a closer look at Donors Trust and join their community of liberty-minded donors by opening a donor-advised fund. Go to DonorsTrust.org justnews for the ultimate survival guide to charitable giving and learn how a donor advice fund can preserve your ability to give to the charities you love. That's DonorsTrust.org slash Just News. At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion, Hunter Biden, and the security and intelligence failures that preceded January 6. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished, and unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive member-only access to events, and you'll be helping us dig up more truth. Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe. Welcome back. 
And I would like to remind everybody that Victor is the Martin and Neely Anderson Senior Fellow in Military History and Classics at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marcia Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. You can find Victor at his website, victorhanson.com. The website is called The Blade of Perseus. Come join us. Uh, we have free subscriptions and you can get onto our mailing list. Um, and there's lots of free stuff on the site, of course. His American Greatness articles and his podcasts are all collected there. And you'll be on the mailing list for that. And then you can join us at $5 a month to try it out. And then $50 a year if you think you would like the subscription for the VDH Ultra articles, which are extensive about 2,000 to 3,000 words each week and on topics that are of interest to Victor. And they're only available on the website, The Blade of Perseus. Victor, we always start this um, show with something positive because we're trying to, there's so much out there that's not so positive that it's nice to get something good in. And I thought this week I noticed that Daniel Penny, who is being charged with manslaughter, I believe, for his defense of an entire car of people on the subway, has raised, in fact, $2 million for his defense. So I thought that was a positive thing. Yeah, that is. Of course, he should have never been indicted because uh, had he been black or had the person, had he aided the prime uh, intervener, that is, if the black fellow who had helped him subdue Neely had had been the prime person and Penny had been the accessory, he would not have been indicted. He would, and the black person was that would not have been indicted. And if the victim had been white, he would not have been indicted. So, you know, everybody says, well, let's not reduce it to race. But if you look at all of the commentary that has been publicized from the Al Sharptons of the world to Alvin Bragg and all of these people, it's entirely racialized. AOC has racialized it. And, it, you know, it's good to see that people are sick of it. And I, I just think that that the black leadership on the left has made a radical mistake. And that is prior to about 2019 or 18, we had very prominent people in the United States who were African-American who had agreed that the country had made so much progress that race was becoming incidental, not essential to who they were. So you have to take an example. You had Oprah Winfrey. She made a multi-billion dollar career to be, if we want to be in reductionist fashion, to talk about what was the source of her success. It was largely suburban women, most of them white, who felt comfortable with Oprah. And she completely has transmogrified. So she gave a graduation dress address the other day, basically lambasting lambast the United States as racist. If you look at Michelle Obama and Barack Obama, they got more white votes than John Kerry did. There was no reason to racialize things. If you and they have, whether it's Trevon as a son that I never had that would have looked like me, or Michelle's constant 
oh, a white woman asked me to pick up a a package she couldn't reach, or they always raise the bar on me, or it's a downright mean, all of that. Yes. And then we see this uh, latest Will Smith's wife has this show where she has insisted that she's going to be the black Cleopatra. And I can tell you that Cleopatra, from when you read primary sources, is a mass as of Macedonian Greek heritage. Now he, she's a direct descendant from the Ptolemies, who came from northern Greece after the death of Alexander the Great, Ptolemy the First. So if you want to do that, that's fine. If you want to say, you know what, cultural appropriation is a one-way street. That means if you are not a natural blonde and you dye your hair blonde, that's your prerogative. But if you're a blonde and you have cornrows or weave your hair, then you're culturally appropriating. Or if you're going to do Hamilton and you have black actors play white founders, that's fine. But when you try to make it asymmetrical and you make a big emphasis on it, So when she was talking about this role, that it was black, 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 black. And then people said, well, you're you're playing a white character and you're black. And, you know, everybody had assumed that was okay. You can play anybody you want. Laurence Olivier and, you know, he played Othello for years. But the point I'm making is that this new leadership said, no, it's asymmetrical. We can play anybody, but you can't play black characters. Because of your racist past, you know, something like, remember, uh, Mickey Rooney and Breakfast at Tiffany, when mm-hmm. he played that racist portrayal of an Asian character. Okay, so she deliberately hyped something that was ahistorical. And she got all, I mean, the people in Egypt are not so-called white supremacists. When she said that her record low ratings for this show was because of white supremacy, the whole country of Egypt was up in revolt about her cultural appropriation. But mm-hmm. a lot of people, but I think it's wider than that. I think people are tired. I think they're just thinking, you know what? Can't we all get along? Rodney, you know, what we saw with Rodney King, just get along. But if you really want to push the envelope and you want to say that race, 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 race counts and it supersedes every other consideration and we're no longer individuals, but we're part of collectives and we will be judged by collective premises. And, and that's what she's doing, isn't she? Oh, yes. Miss Smith, because she said white supremacy, not I mean, all whites supremacists. So. If you want to go down that collective road, and I wrote a piece about Joe Biden we can talk about later, but if you want to talk about collectives, and I've mentioned this before, then let's talk about collectives. Let's go to hate crimes. African-Americans are double their percentage in the population. No one dares talk about that. Whites are underrepresented. There's not 67% of hate crime perpetrators are white. It's down to about 45 to 55% of whites, depending on the type of statistic and crime. If you want to look at interracial, black on white, white on black crime, it's up to six times disparity. Black are more prone to attack white. So these would be two barometers of a white supremacist society that make no sense. And yet, Somebody's going to say, well, Victor, you're talking about all black. No, I'm not. I'm talking about collective and using the same terminology and modalities that these people are doing, these leaders of the black community. And so that getting back to the Penny case, that was entirely racialized and big, tall, white guy, handsome guy picked on a 
smaller black person. And, and then we go to, into the whole media by coastal elite. And these are really fabricated stories by people who come out of universities that are brainwashed and were elite, never been out in the real world, are terrified of their own shadow, have bought into the whole woke movement because they have no identity of themselves and they want to be on the winning side, they think. And what do they do? They start telling us that the deceased was a Michael Jackson impersonator. He was very gifted. And they don't tell us what, Sammy. How many times was he arrested? 42 times. Lewd activity. He ruined a woman's life by hitting her in the head, skull. He hit another elderly person in the head. Uh, and so he was not a nice guy. And he was he, yelling threats. And he Mr. kidnapped Pen a young yes, child as well. Did. Yes. Mr. Penny saw that. And he doesn't have... Uh, the ability to say, well, maybe 98% of his threats are crazy, talking about dying and doing things are just a bluff. So he acted. He didn't mean to kill him, but he did stop that. And most people are happy. Mr. Bragg comes in and looks at it in racial lenses, and here we go. And yes. people are, and what you just mentioned, the $2 million versus the Needley family was something like $75,000. Mm -hmm. So people are not rallying to the victim. No. And so my point is that we, if people and they, Mr. Bragg does not want that. Notice what he wants to do. He wants to set a precedent. He wants to tell everybody in New York, if you're walking down the street and you see somebody engaged in criminal activity, especially if there's a racial component to you and you intervene, I'm going to indict you because I don't want you to do that because I've already gone after the police. And so if I can get the individual citizen and the police not to react to violent criminal behavior, then I've deterred them. And I'm going to encourage this behavior, which I don't consider violent. I think it's a social justice payback. And you saw when the speeches maybe about reparations where the various speakers voiced that and they said, we're for reparations because all of our problems, literally, literally. All of our problems go back eight generations of slavery. And so, therefore, because of these problems, and they mention everything from obesity to diabetes to lack of good schools, it has nothing to do with our present generation. It was encumbered upon us by your ancestors eight generations ago. And therefore, you have to repay, give us reparations. Yes. And therefore, our criminal are higher than average or higher than our demographic. Criminality is not criminality. And Mr. Bragg operates under that premise. Mm -hmm. I think I think he thinks literally that if black offenders know that there's going to face very little consequences and white people who try to protect themselves are going to face a lot of consequences, then and the police are defanged and defunded, then people will react to that crime and they'll say, as they're doing in Chicago, we need to raise taxes. We need to give more money. We're going to defund the police, defund the police, defund. That's what the new mayor of Chicago is saying. We want to get fewer cops, all those vacant positions, over a thousand. We're not going to fill them, but we're going to raise taxes. And that's the point, because if we're not, you're going to get you're going to be a victim of crime. So they're almost weaponizing the threat of inner city crime. And they don't care about the, the majority of its victims, which happen to be black. They don't care. They're just useful soldiers in a larger war of collateral damage. So, and nobody wants to talk about this. 
Nobody wants to talk. Just what I said, I will get some person from Stanford or the Hoover Institution call me or write me or say something. Trust me, because nobody wants to talk to it. I, I keep saying the only person who will talk honestly about it on television was Tucker Carlson, and he was removed and called a racist and smeared. And then Heather McDonald, who can't go to a university without being physically attacked. And it's time people talked about it. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, Victor, let's turn then to speaking of talking of things, the Durham report. And you haven't talked on your podcast yet about this, um, but it seems to have shown that there was no reason to investigate and that the FBI knew it and that the lies were all coming out of the Clinton campaign. Yes, so it was definitely. Well, yeah, there was, you might be, you might be too charitable, Sammy. There was, there was collusion, according to the report, but it was all on Hillary Clinton's side. When you start to read it about it, Mr. Deshinko, uh was a completely discredited. He was manufacturing stories to give to Christopher Steele, and the Clinton people brought those two together. In fact, Fiona Hill, the, the liberal heartthrob heroine of the first impeachment, she was knee-deep in it. And so was Strobe Talbert, the head of the Brookings Institution, where Dushinko worked. And where did Dushinko, he had a Russian-Ukrainian-sounding name, where did he get all of this information? The PT, he got it from a Clinton operative, Charles Dolan, who was in Moscow and made it up. And you still had James Comey mouthing, I don't know about if everything in the Steele dossier, I wouldn't want to believe that my president urinated in a hotel room with prostitutes, I wouldn't want to believe that's preteridio in Latin, isn't it? In Greek, where you say, you know, uh, Demosthenes, you know, says, well, I, want, I don't want to talk about my opponent, Eschines. And why would it be relevant that his mother committed pro acts of prostitution in a public outhouse in a cemetery? I don't want to go there. And that's what that's what <laughs> Com that's what Comey did. He always said, oh, I wouldn't want to believe these things. Da, 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 da. And so when you start to read this thing, one fact is paramount. Hillary Clinton cooked up this idea of taking the Steele dossier, which was created by never Trumpers, and rehabilitating it, and then getting her legions of cronies to use the FBI to give it an imprimatur of legitimacy. And then... They got Dolan over there in Moscow to act as if he was a source because Christopher Skeel couldn't even go, hadn't been to Russia in 12 years. And they got Dushinko and they fed this stuff. Uh, and the FBI was told that, you know, by Clintonites, these people are cool. And they investigated. And what did they find? They found that there was no reason to have any crossfire hurricane investigation. In fact, they did this, and according to Durham, they said to Christopher Steele, we'll give you a million dollars if you can prove one of these things, these salacious accusations in your file. And he couldn't. And then you know what they did? It didn't matter. They used the material in the file to go to the FISA court. And even that wasn't enough. They had to get Kevin Kleinsmith to doctor uh, an email to make it even look more convincing. And they told Dushinko, 
we can't find any truth in any of your stuff. So we're going to pay you three. They had paid him $300,000 for years. Can't you find something? Well, maybe I can and maybe I can if you give me more money. And they kept pouring money. So the FBI was chasing its tails. They were funding with Hillary Clinton, hidden through four paywalls, a complete fabrication about Donald Trump. And they were funding these sources. And then their backside were going around and saying, well, look, we got these sources. And the more the sources look illegitimate or inauthentic, they gave them more money. And then they diluted a FISA judge. And then they, you know, John Brennan briefed Barack Obama. Barack Obama knew about it. John Brennan briefed him. John mm. Brennan, Ron Brennan went around. He signed the letter about the later the hot laptop. He's lied to, uh, he's lied two times, once under oath to Congress. So the whole thing is. It's an indictment. I mean, there is no FBI as we knew. It doesn't exist anymore. Robert Mueller. I remember Comey when he would answer questions. He was really kind of evasive. No, about kind saying, of. And it was really weird. You felt like, well, there's something wrong here that you can't no, just I can talk I can, about state things. In so, his public yeah. testimony. Remember what yeah. he said? Um, yes, I'm James Comey. Now, that's an interesting matter, but according to my notes, I can find no, uh, I have no recollection of that. I have no uh, detailed information. Or next one. Uh, would you please explain how you came to hire Christopher Steele and how much you paid him? Now, that's an interesting question, but I don't have any I don't have any memory of that. I have no memory. That was outside of my purview. So then Jim Jordan, you remember, they all took him in with they interviewed him under oath and they came back out and said on 245 times, he said he didn't know or couldn't remember. Mm. And so what was he? So. When everybody gets angry and says, oh, how dare you insult the FBI? No, they insulted us, the American people. Robert Mueller swore under oath that when asked to comment on the two catalysts of why he was hired, he said he didn't know that was outside of his purview, the Steele dossier. I know nothing of Fusion GPS. Fusion GPS cooked up the entire alpha bing, ping, 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 Trump's computer and Trump Tower communicating with a Russian back. That was a total fraud. And he said he knew nothing about it. Then his successor, James Comey, we go to the next FBI. When So all of you are listening, you're saying, well, Victor, it's good old Bob Mueller. Well, let's just forget his career in San Francisco and Boston. Okay. And we'll say, okay, he was a one-off. So we go to the next guy that took his place. Good old Jim Comey. Remember him? He was a federal prosecutor. He was in. He was a great old Jim Comey. Well, 245 times he did things that if you tried with the IRS, you'd be in jail. And then he went and talked to the president of the United States for one purpose, to entrap him so that he could memorialize the conversation on FBI devices and FBI time, give it to a third party to leak to the New York Times to hide his own tracks and didn't get his old friend and mentor, good old Bob Mueller, as a special counsel, and then say with a straight face, we didn't even know each other. We were casual acquaintances. <laughs> so that was yeah. the second one. And then when his lies got so bad, 
and Trump removed him. We got good old Andrew McCabe. Andy's a great guy. Now, yes, his wife was running for state legislature in Virginia. And yes, a Clinton-affiliated foundation was pouring money in her campaign. And yes, at the same time, he was investigating the Clinton emails. But there was no conflict of interest. And yes, he did engage in textual uh, communications. And yes, uh, Peter Stroke, we identified him and said, yes, we're not going to let that happen. I just talked to Andy. And yes, on four occasions, he lied to the inspector general's federal investigator, three times of which he swore under oath that he would not. And he was the third person. And now you're going to say, okay, Victor, these are three one-offs. These are exceptions. They don't represent a culture of deceit. They don't represent an incestuous swamp where bottom feeders, you know, swim around and their spouses and their friends are all involved in the DOJ. Okay. So we, yes. we go, <laughs> yes. And then we go to whom? We go to Christopher Ray. He's the one that says to the Congress, we have some more questions. I got to go. I've got an important appointment. I got to get in my Gulf Stream and fly to my vacation home. And then they say to him, well, why did you go after James O'Keefe? Well, that was normal. Take a guy out in his underwear because he's been inquiring about Ashley Biden's diary that she just abandoned, you know, at a yes. house. Because why? Because she admitted before the election, apparently on the the thing was circulating that she took that her promiscuity was in some way attributable. To the fact that she took naked showers with her father, I guess, at an age of puberty had onset. Okay. And then we hear about more law. Oh, that was not, not, no, it was symmetrical. You, anybody who believes that Joe Biden as vice president with no purview to declassify material takes it out, classified material, he throws it in his home, he throws it in his office, he throws it in his garage. Hunter has access to all of it. In fact, there have been suggestions that some of Hunter's emails and communications that try to hype his ability to fathom this cokehead, crackhead, that he could fathom geostrategic uh, complex issues reflected the fact that he might have had ad, uh, access to confidential documents. But so what are we were supposed we're supposed to believe, Christopher Ray, that that was symmetrical, that the garage where Joe Biden as vice president for six years sat there with no security at all and Hunter going in and out was a less offensive or less egregious violation of the Archive Act than Donald Trump at Mar-a-Lago with a secure clause. That's what we're supposed to believe. We're supposed mm -hmm. to believe that when you protest a pro-life center uh, as a pro-lifer, an abortion center, and they go to your they go to your home with a SWAT team, that's exactly what they do if you are a pro-choice person demonstrating at a Christian, you know, orphanage or something. Does anybody believe that? No. They believe that the 120 days we were told, three, two to three billion dollars, historic church, St. John's torch, precinct torch, federal courthouse torch, 20, 35 to 40 killed, 14,000 arrests, 120 days was exactly Nothing compared to January one day where not one person was killed violently except a 14-year military veteran who was executed, lethally shot 
for the misdemeanor of entering a broken window into the Capitol. So he's trying to tell us all this. It's symmetrical that people, the FBI goes into traditional Catholic masses, right? Because uh, these people are no different. Than, I guess he goes into Episcopalian churches that are left wing. And does the same thing to monitor them. Do we do, do we believe that? Or he goes to school board meetings when they're talking about Chris, critical race theory. So I guess they, they've infiltrated BLM, the people who, just like they go after parents worried about critical race theory, they go after the people who created it. Nobody believes that. And so it's weaponized. And that was what no. the Dur- Durham... And I guess the subtext of the Durham, because he's delighted the people on the left, they said, well, it's a nothing burger. Andrew Weissman, who leaked like a sieve every moment, he sneezed when he was on the Mueller investigation. So I guess they think it's a great success because it didn't lead to indictments because Dushinko and Sussman, they got before an East Coast left wing big city jury. And so I think Durham was saying to us, here it is. The FBI acted illegally, but you know what? I'm not going to draw this out for two or three years because I can't convict these people because, you know, they could be Lucifer himself and you're not going to get him connected, uh, convicted in these types of juries. And so what I that, found. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. That's what it was. And so uh, what I found interesting about the left's response to this was that they sounded like, oh, we already knew all this. Like they were saying uh, the right has been saying this all the time, and we've been denying it all the time, but oh. we all knew it all the time. No, right? no, not at all. They they deny, they said that the Axis Bank, Axios Bank ping was proof. They did say that. They said the Mueller team, I remember Max Boot said they were a hunter-killer team. They called them the dream team. They called them the all-stars. They told us they were going to get a conviction. Andrew Weissman was their... Godhead, they told us that Hunter's laptop was was legitimate. There's a, a fellow, Mr. Bump, in the Washington Post today or yesterday who was swearing that the Durham report basically shows that there was Russian collusion on the part of Trump. In other words, if you accuse him of that and he can't be proven Guilty, it doesn't matter. The fact that you could accuse him mean he must have been something there. Well, there was nothing. The only Russian collusion was in the head of people around Hillary Clinton who used Dushinko, Steele, and Dolan to fabricate. And with a little help from Andrew Alexander Downer from the ex-foreign minister of the government of Australia who framed Mr. Papadopoulos with a few tired old CIA retired hands and informants. That's all it was. I wrote an article as soon as the, the Steele dossier, you know, I went through all of it. There was no yeah. there was okay. no Russians envoy office in uh, Florida. Uh, even the liaring Michael Cohen, they couldn't refute him when he said he'd never been to the Czech Republic. Remember, yes. they cu- accused him. They said his wife was Russian and she was Ukrainian, I think. And everything in it was wrong. They had these scare capital letters and people would go on CNN and they'd say, well, you know, this is very good Russian work. They've emulated the standard uh, CIA type of intelligence paper. Now, you wouldn't know that. But after years of being in the CIA, I can attest that this was authentic. (laughs) Anybody from, you know. Anybody with an eighth grade education could have seen it was a fo- it was completely phony, and so they still, still believe they still believe it. 
You're trying to say that, uh, okay, so that's what you're trying to say is because when I'm watching these left-wing commentators, they seem to be saying, okay, we know all this stuff that the Durham report has revealed to us. So it's a nothing burger, but you're saying, no, they're saying that whatever the Durham report said, we were still right about Russian collusion. Uh, no, they they're, know they were wrong, but they're oh. never going to say that. What they're saying is, F you, I don't give a shit. Russian collusion, Russian collusion worked. And I'm now I'm parroting almost perfectly good old Harry Reid when they said, you stood up in the Senate floor before the 2012 election and said that Mitt Romney has never paid taxes in 10 years. And you had no evidence for that. In fact, it was refuted. Do you have anything to say? It worked, didn't it? The means are always justified by the ends. And they've said that the ends of removing the existential threat of Donald Trump was worth anything and everything that they could do. And so that's what they did. And what do you say to people who say, well, you know, this is just a continuation of the endless investigating of each other that the Republicans and Democrats do when they get into office and nothing new here, regardless of the charges? Uh, I wish I could say that was true. But when I look back, the only thing I can think of is the one time that they went after Bill Clinton on Whitewater and Monaco. I mean, that was pretty egregious. I mean, the president of the United States took a subordinate employee and had sex in a bathroom off the Oval Office and then lied under oath that he didn't. So they kind of put him on a spot. Mm -hmm. But when I grew up, I mean, the, it's always Watergate or Iran-Contra or Russian disinformation that's what the left, the left believes in lawfare. They really do. I mean. So it's more what, of a left tactic than it is a right tactic. Is what I think you have to start with the basic principle of human nature. Most people believe that individual liberty is essential. Freedom of action, freedom of choice. And while that can lead to asymmetries and people not being equal, their church, their community, their sense of shame can help even it out. Or the government in some ways can have a, you know, a foundation that everybody will have access to health care or food. Okay. But when they go beyond that and they say, we're going to use government to make people equal, and the people who resist, we're going to use force against them. And but there's an also a whole nother agenda of utopian agenda that we wealthy leftists have, whether it's climate change or transgenderism or what. And we're going to use every means necessary to achieve that. Then most people say, you know what? When they just they say to themselves, I'm not racist, but I don't want to talk about race all the time. And I think a black person, a white person, a brown person are all equally capable of being racist. And they all will be if you keep accentuating this and forcing tribalism down their throat. Or they say, you know what, I'm, I don't know whether the climate has changed or not or how much. We've only been keeping accurate records for about 150 years this has happened in the past. Maybe there's a human agency, but we're not going to wreck the economy and ban natural gas stoves while China's opening 20 coal plants a year because of your harebrained utopian dreams, you wealthy people who are behind all this. Or they say, you know what? I don't really care about 
the border being a construct or not. All I know is that when you have an open border and you don't enforce the law, you're going to get millions of poor people. And we know why you're doing it because you want constituents or cheap labor, whatever your particular. So they know all that. They know that every single issue, Afghanistan, energy, crime, race, inflation, the economy in general, interest rates, it's been a disaster and nobody will vote for that. They know that. And so what do they do? They change the voting law. So we went almost overnight from a country where 30% voted early or through mail-in ballots to 70% in most states. Or they decide we'll have lawfare. So we don't like Donald Trump. We're going to unleash Alvin Bragg. He He's going to hand the baton to Letita James, to Miss Willis in Georgia, to Mr. Special Counsel Jack Smith. And don't go after the Biden family or Hunter or Mr. 10 percent or the big guy. And so they understand that a George Soros can spend 40 million dollars to elect 75 whacked out left-wing prosecutors who will destroy the law in our major cities. They understand Mark Zuckerberg will give $419 million to warp precincts. What I'm getting at is Mr. Citizen is sitting there, and he doesn't like this unnatural agenda. So he usually votes when all things being equal, he votes against it. But not when he, he... they he watches a sporting event and he gets imbued with it. Not when he turns on ESPN, not when the Ford and the Rockefeller and the Mellon and the Hewitt found it. They all tell him that he's a racist and that this statistic and that statistic, not when his kid comes home from college, said, hey, dad, I just learned that you're a transphobe. Not when K through 12 and his nine year old comes home and said, you know, we were we're all talking about transitioning, not or we saw a drag show, not when Silicon Valley goes on the Google and he sees the Google search and he looks up insurrection and there's <laughs> they're all right wing insurrection to search number 5000, not when he wants to find the news and he sees that certain things are blacklisted or taken off social media in an asymmetrical fashion. So all of those institutions and all of that money are used as any means necessary to destroy any objection to this agenda that nobody wants. You ask American people, do you want to have a you have clean burning gas stove? Do you want to outlaw it? Nope. Do you, have, do you, use, do you support using race for criteria for college admission? Nope. Do you consider using race to pick pilots? Nope. Do you want to have a $2 trillion deficit? Nope. Do you want to decriminalize theft, carjacking? Nope. Do you do you consider interest rates at 7% for a mortgage? Nope, I don't want them. Do you think it's good to pay $5.50 gas in California to help the environment? That's crazy. Nope. Do you believe that transgendered men, biological men that grew up as men, musculoskeletal frame, maybe testosterone levels still with testicles, you think they should compete in uh, women's sports? Nope. My point is the whole agenda doesn't appeal to people. No. So, So they have to do this. 
Otherwise, they wouldn't get it through. Nope. And they're experts at it. They're experts at it. They sure are that. Well, Victor, let's go ahead and take a break and come back and talk about Joe Biden's speech recently to Howard University. Stay with us and we'll be right back. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back. And Victor, so Joe Biden gave this speech and I think the most interesting thing in the speech was that he said that the number one domestic threat in the U.S. is white supremacy, and then immediately followed that by saying, I'm not just saying this because I'm at Howard University. And what I thought was interesting about the whole thing was that position seems a strange position and a radical position to take when he's just currently trying to tack back to the center in his political um interactions in evidence of that is talking with Kevin McCarthy on the new spending bill. I, I find it strange that he gave no, a speech. It's not though. Of, okay. Okay. So here's the subtext of that speech. He came out, there came out last week, a Reuters poll, 36%. That is the lowest of any modern president in polling history at this point in his first term. So Donald, Donald Trump was 39 at this point. So they look at that, his handlers, and they say, "Where we have lost the white male voter. He's gone. We have lost the suburban voter, but we need 98% of minorities, especially blacks. And somebody comes in with a poll and says, 60% of blacks don't want Joe Biden to run. Next hand goes up. You better go over to Howard University, hijack that graduation address and start in on the old phantom of the opera speech stuff you used to do about semi-fascism and racism. And you're here to help and you're not just pandering. Anytime Joe Biden says not a lie. My word is a Biden. No kidding. No joke. Not he's lying. He's a pathological liar. So. What was the other subtext about it is why are why does he have 36 percent support? Well, he inherited energy independence, affordable gas, low interest, low. We went through them, low inflation, calm abroad, low crime, closed border. And what did he do? He destroyed that inheritance, he did it in two years. And so he's he begged Venezuela, Saudi Arabia, Russia, to, and Iran to point to pump more gas. The inflation got up to one month at an annualized rate of over eight, almost nine percent. 
I'm looking at interest right now for help my daughter, and it was two, my son has a loan at two point seven. I'm going to be lucky to get one at seven, unless if I do a thirty year, I can get cheaper for fifteen. He doubled here in California the price of gas. I just filled out for diesel fuel. It was five dollars and fifty four cents. Gasoline was about four eighty, and this is in the inexpensive Central Valley. I don't know what. You know, we keep talking about Afghanistan, 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 and we argue 15 billion, 80 billion, 60 billion. That those weapons we learned this month are turning up in places like Pakistan by terrorists. They are selling that stuff at a huge profit. All of it. It's going to end up in Ukraine as well, but hasn't already. So that's what he's doing. And he's and nobody wants it. And he's got to get elected. And he knows that he is so when you call half the country racist and semi, they're not going to vote for you ever. They despise him for what he's done. And the Latino community is starting to despise him 40 percent. But he goes back and he thinks, you know what, if we can get a huge turnout and we can get our 96 percent plus black vote. But I, I've got to go to Howard to, to shore it up. And the irony about all this, Sammy, is. This is a guy who said to to accelerate his career during busing that if you bus kids that are black, then you're going to create a racial jungle for my kids. And remember, you remember in the of debate where Kamala Harris said, I was that kid on the bus, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that when she the was one interesting him? thing she said in her entire career. Uh, yes. she's, now give her credit. No, no, no. She said two things. It was a lie, but she said two things that were interesting. She said Tara Reed told the truth. She believed her that when she was sexually assaulted. And you know, look what Joe Biden didn't mean when he told African American graduate, you're supposed to go to a gra- I've given graduation speeches. I get you know, I've given them. I've given them at Pepperdine University. And I've given them at St. John's and you're supposed to, you're supposed to what? uh, Encourage them. Think that uh, you're supposed to give them ambition or visions or, you know, you can mention things that are bad, but if you do mention things that are bad, it's to, it's to suggest there needs to be work done and they have the ability to do it, but you don't go in there and say that, the entire white race is going to squash their ability. Not when 10,000 black people are being murdered every year, 94% of them by, by black people, or not when 100,000 people are dying because of his open border. And then you say that white supremacy is the greatest terrorist threat. There's no evidence for it. It's like Lloyd Austin and Mark Milley talking about white rage running through the the armed forces with no evidence. So he did that. And then then you think, okay, Joe Biden is doing this. Let's think of that. Now he called, he said that busing was a racial jungle. Oh, yes. I remember him. He was bragging that James O. Eastland, the old segregationist senator, was Joe's friend. Joe said, you know what? Senator Eastland never called me boy. He was a great guy. Now, he called everybody, the subtext, he called everybody else boy, but he never called me boy. <laughs> and then he gave the eulogy, a eulogy for Strom Thurmond, the, the Dixiecrat in the 48 election. And he gave one 
to the what was he? I don't think he was Grand Wizard. It was what's the name of that? Uh, Robert Byrd from West Virginia. He was a Claxon or head of a Claxon or something or. Yeah, something yeah, like that. I I, I don't I think don't he got know. it. I, he wasn't. A I don't know. Wizard. He did, no. Maybe he was a wizard at. And <laughs> I don't know what he was, but he 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 always Joe bragged on him. And then there was the corn pop stories. Remember about the poor little black kids that looked at his mm. beautiful legs and they saw his golden hairs in the sun and wanted to touch his legs. And then there was corn pop. I told corn pop. I went down there and cut myself. A, I had, had to cut a six feet of chain. I went out there and said, "Corn pop." One of us. Remember that? That yes. was too. And you still look. You go look at that tape and look at the faces of African American people. Like, oh wow, this guy is a old style racist, and we're supposed to be smiling for the photo op. Yep. And you know. And all the and, while, he's desensitizing the left to these racist things he does. <laughs> it's yeah, weird. He, it's remember so when weird. he went? He went down. I think it was to Louisiana. And said, I got a good boy down here, oh <laughs> black God. guy. He said it the other day about a an, an Arab American. He said, "Well, you got a boy over, here. yeah, boy." You know, and then he said he was talking. Let me tell you a story about Satchel Paige, the Negro. And the left's <laughs> like, "Oh, that's all normal." I guess that's normal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean they. They want to say, yeah, he's a racist, but we, but he's senile. So that's why he says it. He's not racist. He's se- but then they've always told us that that's ageist to say he's senile. So they just deny it. And then there was, remember the. No, Victor, you Charlotte- have it all wrong. It's, it shows their great tolerance for people that they have Joe Biden around. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> remember Charlemagne the God, the African American. Uh, podcaster when he said you ain't black and then they had another african-american really good journalist he came in and started questioning joe biden he said that'd be like me saying you you deal crack junkie i couldn't believe that and you know where was al sharpton when all of that and then you know that the, the piece de resistance was when he ran in 2008 you said man it's a classic case man and it's it's Barack Obama. He's the first African-American presidential candidate who's clean and articulate. First mm. one. <laughs> he has such a list of just racist things. He oh, said. he's an absolute. That's Endless. what's so funny, you know. And then he goes in front of all those professionals, those black professionals, all very accomplished people, and tells them, you vote for Romney, they're going to put you back in chains. Oh, my God. You know, with that fake accent and t- yes. as if these people are helpless without him. Yeah. It's the same thing he said, you know, that I owe I, to the Howard people. I've been I've, I'm your I'm fighting it. And so he's a nasty piece of work. He always was. He, when he when he you should go back and look at those tapes when we had the Clarence Thomas uh, confirmation hearing. His eyes got big. He was salivating. He was mm-hmm. an utterly condescending racist. And he was the one that prompt, prompted Thomas. So this is a high tech lynching. Yes. And, and so, again, if he thinks white supremacy, that's what he told the audience. And he better bring the data. I mentioned how the hate crime data, the interracial data, bring it on. And if he says the police are shot, you know, this is another thing about the defunding. The Washington Post, I think, said in 2019 was that 26 people were shot while unarmed in police by police. And they said, well, you know, African-Americans are 12%, but I think half of those, so they're, 
50% of the 25 were after. No, 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 no. There was 11, 11 million people arrested. If you look at the race of the people who we know were arrested, arrested, came in contact with the police, and the numbers who were shot lethally while unarmed, it was about 12%. But, you know, it just gets so tiring to, to go over all this stuff. Yes. And, and he knows it, but he's trying to get a 96% black turnout. Because he's afraid that he's losing some of the. If he gets up to thirty percent, he's done. No matter how many yeah. white vote people. So that explains his Howard speech. Yeah. Absolutely, he knows it. I mean, yeah. he, he. I mean, he, I'm not lying. I'm not just here. I'm not. I'm, he always gives a game away by telling you what he's not doing. Whatever he says, he's not doing. He's doing. <laughs> and and uh, he does. I think he's because I know he that. has. I know that. Yeah, he has no memory or something, and. Uh, you know, well, while we're on this, because my next thing on the agenda is the Biden family criminal syndicate and that James Comer's committee has been um, publishing bank records that are showing um, a network of companies of over 20 companies of over $10 million being dispersed all to cons and done it in such a a complicated fashion that it's clear that it's intended to conceal Absolutely. Influence and influence peddling the money that they're getting. And I was wondering if you had any. Well, it's very hard to follow it because Hunter, not Hunter, but Hunter's associates set up like these two or three dummy companies all over the world. So the money from the Chinese or the Ukrainians or whoever went into this company, then then it went into another company and then another company until it got into the Biden family coffers. But some of the figures are talking about, it's just astounding. I mean, 20, 30, 40, 50 million dollars that the Bidens got. And it wasn't just, it was nine Bidens. The whole family was corrupt. Yes. And now they're subpoenaing, uh, what, communications between Joe Biden and Hunter about his power bill. He couldn't even pay his power bill. He Hunter Hunter was paying that. And so it, everybody knows the lifestyle of that family was not definable with their incomes. It came from one thing that President Joe Biden, while he was in office, set up a series with his son of influence peddling schemes, because when he stepped down, he didn't know whether Hillary was going to run or not. He was going to be a possible candidate. And that meant money would come in early to him. And it did to his these dummy companies. After she failed, it, more of them came in as the anti-Trump likely 2020 uh, candidate. And so that was a drawing card. And that's where all this foreign money came in to get access. And when he lied and said he knew nothing about it, they have you know, pictorial evidence that that was a false. We have all these crazy, creepy people coming into the White House on logged in. Why were they coming in the vice, see the vice president? There was no reason for them to. So the only problem they're going to have is that these machinations are so Byzantine, it's going to be hard to know who's what. And second, they need to get these people protection. And that's going to be hard because they don't control the justice system. So if you're 
Tony Bobolinsky and you say, you know what, I went on 60 Minutes and I told everybody those communications with me at least are accurate on the laptop or this is what, but this guy and this guy and this guy and that guy and that guy can confirm what I'm saying. Well, those guys are saying, hey, Tony, I'm not going to go to jail, not with Merrick Garland as attorney general. I'll cut a deal, but I'm not going to testify against the Biden. So I'd be stupid because they'll throw the book at me. They're not going to give me they're not going to make a deal with me. No federal prosecutor in New York or Washington is going to say, hey, we hear you're mentioned by Tony Bobolinsky is confirming his story of shakedowns. And we were thinking of indicting you. But if you tell us about exactly how Joe Biden and his brother and Hunter were enriched, we'll 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 reduce the things to a minute. You think that's going to happen? No, they should right now have a special counsel. I don't believe that I, you know, in special counsels, but they appoint them all the time. Merrick Garland could appoint them right now. But you want what they're doing? They're playing out the clock. They they're playing out the clock and their their plan is as transparent as they come. They figure, you know what? We're just going to let the House rage. We'll try to stop any release of information from the IRS. And we'll put a we'll go after the whistleblowers, intimidate them, and then we'll get into the election cycle, and then he'll get elected and he'll be he'll be fine. And then after he's all out of office, he'll be 86 anyway, if he's still alive. So they won't it won't come to anything. This is at the end of his life. Who cares? That's what their attitude is. And they don't want a case going on at the same time. They've got all the Trump cases that they're going to bring against him. So it is coordinated effort here. Speaking of the Trump cases, Miss Carroll, the one that couldn't remember 30 years ago, uh, they, they've unearthed all of her earlier tweets and message public social media posting. Did you see all what she was saying? Kind of, it was just sick. I mean, it, Rape is a fantasy, and I look at it. It was all about how to have sex with men and how mm-hmm. to seduce them, and it was raunchy. And yeah. and apparently, I mean, for 30 years, everybody knew this, so there was not – she was never going to – I mean, if if you say rape can be sexy and you keep going – you keep trying to intrigue or flirt with a man so he'll have sex with you in a promiscuous fashion. And Donald Trump is known to be apparently from the Access Hollywood vulnerable to that or prone to that, whatever modality you want to characterize him. That's not going to work. It's not unless you've got you as what? a case against Donald Trump. No, it's not you've, got, work. Okay. you've got to get yeah. Donald Trump. It's not going to work. So that's why she never she never filed it. It's yeah. not going to work unless you got a lot of left-wing prosecutors who come to you and say, you know what, we're going to hire the lawyers for you, uh, the left-wing money, and our left-wing prosecutors are going to help you, and the judges are left, and and you've got to do this for the country. So all of a sudden, now, 30 years later, I, I mean, I'm 69, right? So I, I was 39. Let me think. Oh, 39. Hmm. So that was 1993. Oh, yes. I was a visiting professor at Stanford University in the classics department. Oh, yes. I was treated very badly by somebody. In fact, they said things about me that were untrue. Oh, yes. Somebody broke pencil lead in my doorknob and I couldn't open it. 
Oh, yes, somebody stole the books I put out on the table for my own students. Oh, yes, I remember that person who boycotted my class and called me, you know, tried to embarrass me. Oh, yes, I remember this other person who was involved with students uh, in the department. Oh, yes, I came to me right now. Oh, but I can't remember anything else. I'm sorry. And But if one of those people is very prominent, maybe one of those people is a, a senator, then I'll step forward and get my due. That's what we're talking about. Think about your life or the listener's life 30 years ago. 30 years I, ago. I couldn't remember years. a thing. I mean, I guess if I were raped, that would be a different thing. You might be able to remember that more clearly, but... She couldn't she couldn't remember that you should be able I mean, you'd be able to remember the day, the time, the place if that were the case. But she couldn't remember any of that. She just said vaguely. I had four classes a year for, say, 20 years. And they average we had to have an average of 100 students. And I had more than that in the big lecture classes, even they balanced out the small Greek and Latin classes. So let's just say. I don't know, for two semesters, eight classes, say I had, I don't know, let's say I had 600 students for 20 years, 6,000, 12,000 students that I came in contact with. And that's been, I retired in 2004. It's been almost 20 years ago. Well, I go give lectures and I'll have every once in a while, somebody come up to me and say, you know what? You remember me? I was in your Greek 101, Greek history class. I'm thinking, yes, I had 72 people. I taught that for eight years. Uh, and you said that I always remember you said, I have no recollection of it. You know what I mean? How could I? 12,000 people. And that's what we're supposed to believe. You know, Donald, how many people yeah. do you think Donald Trump meets a year? Oh, God, I don't even want to know. Thousands of people. Yeah. And if, one person can't remember the year and can't remember any of the major details except the details that would be useful to get a big $5 million settlement from him with free legal care from left-wing activists. It, it, it's ridiculous. But yeah. that, was, that was only stage two. See, stage one was Mr. Bragg got his moment. He's coming back in December. So that baton was handed to Miss Carroll. And then we're going to hear from Latita James because Donald Trump may have overvalued his assets to get a loan. Nobody ever does that in real estate. And then we're going to get <laughs> we're going to get Miss Willis down there that he had a call and he wanted to know where the necessary votes were because he knew they were there. Did it affect the election? No. Did it? intimidate the people on the other end no they voted off did he say go make go get me fake votes no he said they're out there i really believe they're out there do your job find all these votes that have been suppressed was it stupid yes was it criminal no and then we go to then we go to mr smith and more logo that's going to be the most interesting case because he's got a real problem he's got to show that donald trump being out of office two years not quite two years, and bringing papers that he has the ability to declassify with just a formal note, any of them, that he put them in a locked closet, and that is so egregious it requires a SWAT-like intervention, 
and Joe Biden as vice president with no ability to declassify and putting him in three different locations for six years warrants no special counsel. Well, we have one, but they're not going to do anything. And that's going to be hard to do. It really is. Is he going to indict, really going to indict Trump on that? I don't think he is. I think what he's going to do is he's going to leak like Andrew Weissman did. Walls are closing in, bombshell, uh, let the let the papers and the media uh, go for it. And then that'll be five of these if Donald Trump should be nominated. And they're all going to be synchronized chronologically so that, you know, they're going to be the headlines. So Joe Biden will give a speech on the stump. He won't be on the stump, by the way. He'll be in the basement, but he'll give something where he'll fall asleep or he'll slur his words or he'll call somebody boy or Negro. And that won't be because this other story will be there. It'll be very interesting to see because a lot of people are getting sick of all this. And we'll see how it affects the primary with DeSantis, whether it gives continues to give empathy for Trump or people say, you know what? I can't take it anymore or whether they it's so shameless what they're doing. They're going to get carried. It's going to be there's a lot of variables there that affect the primary in the general election. Yes. Victor, let's go ahead and take a break and come back and talk a little bit. Speaking of um, Trump, Trump's image, the interview that he did with Caitlin Collins. Stay with us and we'll be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back. So, Victor, what I thought was interesting about the Caitlin Collins um, interview was that she didn't seem to win anything at all, but she currently is now getting a primetime space on CNN. And I, I, I just was kind of shocked. She, she didn't strike me as um, having proven herself to be, you know, that strong of a person, although CNN doesn't have that high of ratings. But, but what did you think about um, Trump's interview and, and um, the response to that interview? Well, I mean, the new president was thinking of CNN that, I mean, he's a major candidate. He's ahead of the Republicans, so he's going to have a, you know, a town hall. So it made sense because CNN knew that when it gets down to two or two or 300,000 viewers, and that used to at one time had four or 5 million, and Donald Trump was a godsend in 2016, that it might be go, good to go back to those years, especially because he's now running against non-compos Mentes Biden. And so they thought they were going to get this young 31-year-old Caitlin Collins, and she had been long-suffering from being co-hosted. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, 
And she, I remember her way back when they were, you know, she had her problems. I think she was mm-hmm. accused of being homophobic or something that they found old messaging where she didn't want a roommate with a lesbian or something. So she, but anyway, she's very attractive. She's young. She's 31. She doesn't know anything. And so she thought, you know, Donald Trump lies. He's just, he just BSs and I'm just going to go in there and I'm going to nail him. I'm going to sort of be like Dan Rather. And I'm going to be famous and they're going to unleash. That was the whole point, because, I mean, when you go into a town hall, you're talking about the present and the future. Half the time, she just wanted to go back to January 6th and all that. But Donald Trump came prepared. He quoted emails and he just put her down and he just said, show me where's the evidence. And he just hijacked it. He was dominant and she was not. And that was but it was. That would have that would have been maybe to his detriment to be bullying and stuff, kind of like the first debate. But she was billed and she thought that she was going to be not a genuine journalist interested on in the issues, asking Trump about crime and energy and, and Ukraine and what happened in Afghanistan. She wanted to focus in on the left wing narratives that he was an insurrectionist and all of his court problem. And so there was very little sympathy and they put it at a college and they thought that the college audience and the MAGA people stalked the audience and they hoot and hawed and you're not supposed to do that. They do that, but you can't be reciprocal. And so it was a disaster for CNN. And then they had their little, they, you know, ad hoc, post hoc uh, panel of CNN experts. And it was just, that Donald's guy, the representative from Florida, he was all by himself and he kind of crushed them. So it was a disaster. These people are just in an echo chamber. And anybody that thinks that Donald Trump is stupid or he's inarticulate or he's he's too old, uh, that that's a mistake. Is or he's prone mistake. to flattery by beautiful women. I thought yeah. I figured they thought, oh, we'll just put somebody really beautiful up there and he won't be able he'll be tongue tied to some extent. And I don't think he was at all. He was he Donald really- Trump. Donald Trump made one catastrophic mistake, one catastrophic mistake. That's the only big one he made. And that was. Two of them, two of them. And they're understandable. I'm not faulting him. The first mistake was when this COVID thing started and they said flatten the curve two weeks and then it was three weeks. Then Anthony Fauci was off to the races. And this became a left wing mantra that Donald Trump, if he didn't shut down the economy for two years, quarantine, destroy the GDP, all of that from this wonderful economy, then he was a killer and a murderer. Now, Andrew Cuomo can kill 15,000 by putting uh, active COVID infectious patients in in rest homes, but it didn't matter. So he he gave Fauci the Medal of Freedom, you know, and he should have never done that. But I I have, you know, that was just the climate. The second one he did was... In the 2020 election, under the under the veneer of COVID, they raised a lot of money, millions, millions, and they systematically went to key states like Pennsylvania and Michigan, and they began to override through court fiat and bureaucratic edict 
the will of the legislature. And, and that meant, you know, if, if a vote comes in, it doesn't match a register. No problem. If first name, no last name, no problem. If address is incorrect, no problem. And if there's no signature, no problem. Or if you can't get the polls, we'll deliver third party vote harvesting. Or we'll, if your ballot is inexact or incomplete, we'll allow somebody from a campaign to come in and cure it. And when you have 70% in some of these states, not voting on election day and the typical rejection rate for a vote is between three and 5%. And now when it's 30%, and so you more than double the number that people have to contend with, then the rejection rate goes down to 0.3 or 0.5 magnitude of 10. That was where the election was lost. It wasn't lost with the dominion crazy, you know, Sydney yes. Powell and the Kraken moment. It's just yeah. they, they turned a normal election into a 70 percent stay, not show up on Election Day election. And that was catastrophic. And he didn't see it coming. And that's that's what I think cost him the election. Yeah. Had they had they had they if he had said, we're going to spend three hundred million dollars, we're going to fight every one of these left wing efforts, we're going to get all the red states to stop it and. I think he would have done a lot better. And then the final third thing is after he lost and after all of that January 6th disaster, if he had gone down to Georgia and told everybody that, don't worry about me. We, Georgia never elects communist socialist senators. I want every MAGA, I want Every MAGA to come out, your vote matters, and it will be counted, and there's going to be integrity. Governor Kemp is going to ensure this, and I want every independent to know this is not about me. Forget forget anything else. This is a special election about your future. If they take the Senate, we're doomed, and you here in Georgia can stop that. He didn't do that. He did the opposite. Basically, he offended the independents, and he told the people— in the base that if they voted, it wouldn't matter. So those were three things he could have done. Yeah, other, he sure could have. But otherwise, he was pretty savvy. And and Miss yeah. Collins found that out. And just <laughs> just like just like Ted Cruz did, and just like Marco Rubio did, just like Kasich did, and just like Carly Fiorina did, and Scott Walker did, and Chris Christie did, and all of them did. You know, and we'll see what happens in this nomination. But, you know, just recently he he's been attacking DeSantis on all. He's been defending Disney to attack DeSantis. He's been blaming the mayor of Jacksonville of that race on DeSantis. He's blaming DeSantis for cutting, for opposing reform of Social Security. He's attacking DeSantis from the left. He, and the polls show that he's 40 points ahead of any other de- uh, Republican candidate for the Republican. Uh, it'll change. It'll change. Because when, yeah, when DeSantis comes out, he will announce his candidacy, I think, next week, around the 20th. And then there will be a lot of money. That's it's not Jeb Bush money. It's it was Trump money that will say, you know what, I I'm going to go with DeSantis. And then these 
there's going to be a shelf life of patience on all of these writs. The left knows what they're doing. They're trying to wear out people. They think it'll be not until the general election. I think it'll be earlier. So you will have a more competitive race, I think. And it will depend on, as I said earlier, a really fine person and an excellent governor was Scott Walker. He was considered the super governor was going to win the 2016 uh, Republican primary. And we'll see what DeSantis does. If he comes out like he'd governed Florida, then it's going to be a competitive race. It really will be. But Donald Trump is trying to strangle him in the cradle. That's what they're trying to do. Any means necessary. And Trump thinks that people will, if you're a DeSantis supporter and you're listening, you're angry about what Trump is doing. His his logic is, okay, you're going to hate my guts now. But when I'm the nominee, you're going to say, my God, that guy knows how to strangle people in the cradle. Go after Biden. Do to Biden what you did to DeSantis. That's what he thinks. Well, we're at the or near the end of our podcast. I wanted to bring something back because I was wondering, as you were talking earlier about the Biden, you know, accusations um, against the Biden, that Tony Bobolinsky have whatever happened to him? Have we heard from him lately? Is he still alive? I mean, I, I'm just <laughs> yeah, <curious>. he's alive. <laughs> yes. OK. Yeah. He's very angry that he got cheated by Hunter Biden. Yeah. And uh He said, you know, last November, he said, if it's an honest probe, you're going to be shocked. And his big, you know, he told Tucker that, didn't he say that Joe Biden ran or was chairman over Hunter? And, you know, he and he he really is angry because he thought that that was going to be kind of on the up and up and that Hunter Biden and those Two guys, you know, his crazy. The worst one is Jim Biden, you know, Hunter and Jim. And then they had that guy named Walker and Gilliar. They stole, I don't know, yes. what they took the five million payoff and they took, kept it for themselves and cut him out, you know. And so I'm not saying he's a noble person necessarily because he probably wouldn't have come forward had they not ripped him off. Mm-hmm. But and Hunter's way of thinking, you know, he's a small. Get back to that original thing we talked about over a year ago, that Hunter Biden is blackmailing his father in a way. Hunter Biden is telling Joe Biden, and just you can gather that and infer that from the emails when he uh, tells his cousin and his, and his sister that he's angry that nobody appreciates all the work he's done and that he even pays bills for Joe Biden. And nobody gives him any credit. And he says, I supported this family for years and I've given half my stuff and nobody. And what he's saying is that I am a total wreck and I'm a crackhead and I leave registered guns in dumpsters and I leave crack pipes in rented cars and I leave laptops at people's uh, and that you know, repair shops that show me with prostitutes using drugs. But the reason that all happens is I'm so busy making money for you. So you don't screw with me. If you screw with me and you, I'm estranged, I'm going to go ballistic. I'm going to go full Roger Clinton or Billy Carter or Don Nixon is what he's saying. Yeah, I'm going to be the wayward family member that's going to frighten you. And I'll show you what I mean by this because I'm going to go out and I'm going to dream up a little con where I put a 
a paintbrush in my mouth, very close to my nose, and I'm going to paint crap. And then I'm going to get a guy to sell it to your guys that are, give you money, lobbyists in China, all over the world. I'm going to make a lot of money. And if you dare tell me that I can't do that, you better be careful. And that's what he's doing. That's yes, why Joe yeah. Biden, Joe Biden brought him to Ireland. That's why he's in the White House, probably ducking a summons on his illegitimate child. God. Yeah. Well, well, Victor, we're at the end and I would like to read one of your um, comments on your podcast, the Conquistador and Border Disruption podcast where we talked about the Aztecs and the Spanish conquistadors. This is from K.L. Lowe. I have a feeling that that's what it means here. And it says, I absolutely love all of Victor's podcasts, but this one was outstanding. From his spot-on analysis of the open border to the conquest of the Aztecs, he just gave such a great perspective. The facts about the Aztecs and the Spanish conquistadors were things I never knew. Even the short discussion on farming made me think about how judgmental we can be without knowing anything about a certain subject. I wish I had Professor Hansen when I was in college. Thank you for opening my eyes every time I listen to you. So there you go, Victor. Very, very sweet. It's nice of her. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. And we'll, well talk on, on our next cocktail. We'll, uh, everybody, we're going to talk about, um, we're getting chronologically down to the 16th century. We did kind of preempted a little bit with the Crusades, but they started early and they finished late. So we're going to talk about the great Venetian uh, Ottoman Wars in the Met for the Mediterranean, especially the Battle of Lepanto. And we'll talk a little bit about farming, just another little anecdote. Yeah. And that will be for the Saturday show. So this is the end of the Friday show. Thanks to everybody. Thank you. This is Victor Davis Hanson and Sammy Wink, and we're signing off. Hey there, it's Amanda Head, and I am thrilled to introduce to you my new exciting podcast, Furthermore, with Amanda Head, broadcasting weekly from sunny Los Angeles, California, and brought to you by the dynamic Just the News Podcast Network. On this fresh and engaging podcast, I delve into the latest news with a little bit of a twist, exploring the furthermore of every story. But this isn't your typical run-of-the-mill news commentary or politically charged program. I interview a diverse range of guests, including business leaders, entertainers, musicians, educators, experts, politicians, and many influential figures from both the United States and around the world. So why not make your Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays a little more interesting? Tune in on your preferred podcast platform and discover furthermore with Amanda Head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And don't forget to hit that follow or subscribe button and be sure to download the latest episodes. I can't wait to have you join me on this exciting journey.